0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another sunny day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill. And today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Ben Calder, founder of Center for Integral Health a platform for the provisions of non-conventional complementary aspects in addition to physiotherapy and counselling. Ben, hello. Hi, Ben Matthew, and thank you for having me on the show today. Well, thank you for coming. Um, We might as well pop right on to our first question. What does the word leader mean to you?
1: It's an interesting term as well, because it's certainly something that has evolved in my understanding through uh, my life and my career. And and these days, really, I see leaders as inspirers, people who are are not only uh, demonstrating good leadership in terms of what they do, but they're actively inspiring people to be lifting their lives up to a greater space.
0: And how would you describe your personal leadership style?
1: Definitely one that's looking for inspiration. So It's it's really key to me that as uh, somebody who is uh, directing and and managing the businesses that I do, that I'm inspiring people. A lot of what I see within the the health domains is that people uh, are not very good at self-governing and they're not very good necessarily at uh, the discipline and the focus that they need to effectively lead their lives. A lot of the time what I'm doing is I'm modeling good behavior and trying to encourage people to uh, be aware of what they need to have help in their lives and to lead that for themselves.
0: Let's go back to the very beginning of your career when you first started out in the world of work. Were there any particular individuals who shaped the way that you lead today?
1: I mean, certainly within the uh, the complementary health care, there were a couple of very key people uh, who were mentors for me, teachers for me, and, and who were people that inspired me to move forward. First and foremost, uh, a couple called Simon and Sue Lilly, who are prolific authors here in the UK and, and write a lot within the realms of complementary health. Uh, The second person was uh, Dr. Jimmy Scott, who was the founder of the first system of kinesiology that I learned, health kinesiology. And and his work in looking to get people healthy and get them to be looking after their own lives was uh, a direct influence to me. And then I think perhaps the third most influential person uh, from a kind of a, a public perspective would be the author and philosopher Ken Wilber, who's an American writer who developed the integral system that I use as the basis of my health model.
0: Let's go into how one deals with uh, those that one leads. Um, of course, uh, a big part about le- being a leader is dealing with people. And uh, people aren't always at their best. I'm sure a lot of your uh, uh, customers aren't always at their best. How do you Absolutely. resolve um, conflict within the workplace?
1: A lot of the time, there is tension that comes about because of misunderstanding. People, uh, we make a lot of assumptions about the language that we use and that if I say a thing, I assume that because I use a, a publicly recognized word that you're going to mean the same thing by the word. So there's often a lot of mismatch in terms of the language we're using, and some of that can be uh, culturally derived as well. So even the difference between Londoners, Brummies, and Northerners, we can all misconstrue ideas here within the UK just on the basis of language and and how we apply language. So for a lot of conflict resolution and and a lot of helping people to move forward, the key is first is to listen to understand what their model of the world is, how are they representing that. And then find a way to be able to respond in a language that can be appreciated and understood by them, how they can move forward from where they are, what it is that they're really after and and where they're trying to get to.
0: Now, of course, there are many different types of leaders, but there are also two distinct groups, good leaders and bad leaders. What separates them?
1: Okay, so... uh bad leaders, let's start with the easy ones, first of all, uh, self-serving, not interested in the service of the collective that they're leading. And and I think that has to be one of the most important things. This is part of what makes a good leader is the fact that there is a, a degree of sovereignty within their behavior. They recognize that they are serving a greater purpose and a greater whole whether that be uh, a business, whether that be an organization, whether that be a community. So bad leaders are the ones that are not actually listening to and responding what their collective require. And a a good leader is somebody that's able to listen, able to adapt, but also to be able to give clarity, to be able to make decisions that have uh, a clear benefit to the group. Uh, and so often I find that decisions are made because they have uh, a serving nature to them that isn't necessarily for the collective. And so it's difficult to be able to uh, to really say to people, well, this, this is what you need. I think this is what's best for you without having a, a decent way of being able to justify that. Uh, and so often bad leaders are not really listening. They're not really supporting the collective as they should be and uh, and good leaders are doing the contrary to that they're able to listen they're able to adapt uh, and they're able to direct in a way that has clear gains for the whole of the group that they're serving and potentially beyond that
0: so it's very important to provide a very much a, a collaborative workspace
1: i mean it, it doesn't necessarily mean to be collaborative uh I think that one of the things we lack is that people are not very good at self-governing, whether that's through the education or the culture that they're raised through. We we often have uh, leaders who have followers, and the followers uh, are really only enabling the leaders rather than the leaders necessarily serving. And uh, the nature of collaboration isn't essential, but certainly we want leaders who are able to fully understand the the causes of the issues that their group are experiencing and be able to respond to those uh, so that there's collective gain and there may be some individuals within those groups that are then required to collaborate and and of course good collaboration and again good communication within that are essential
0: and if I was to ask you to objectively identify the greatest leader living or dead who would that be
1: (laughs) wow um the greatest leader, living or dead.
0: Tricky, I know.
1: I, I wouldn't want to put one individual name into that. Uh, I, I think for me, the kind of people who whose behavior would have been inspiring would be somebody like Gandhi. You know, somebody who is actively looking for the wellness of the group that they're into uh, and looking at conflict resolution in, in a peaceful sense.
0: Now, unfortunately, our time together is very quickly drawing to its close, but what does the next 12 months have in store for the Center for Integral Health?
1: So we're, we're in a process at the moment of uh, expanding our vision of what we're doing. We're, we're working at uh, bringing more training into the region and into the country where people can learn how to self-regulate, self-manage health at uh, a much greater level using a process called Life Force Qigong, which is a, uh, an integral mindful movement system that allows us to uh, correct imbalances in body and mind at a basic level. So in the long run, it's there to be a, a, a saver of resources for organisations such as the NHS, because people will be able to much better manage their own health. And we're having some international teachers coming in to help us with that this year. So we're looking at doing more work for that and looking at rolling some of that out with councils within the UK so that we can work with uh, people who are in long-term unemployment, people who have long-term sickness, to see if we can not only give them skills to be able to create a greater health for them, physical and mental health, but also we've got an option to be able to train them where they can provide community classes for their community so that they can also work with other people in similar situations and eventually uh, bring up the health of the areas where they live.
0: Well, Ben, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you, and I very much hope that I could have you back on the program at some point in the near future. Thank you. Ben, thank you. That was Ben Calder, founder of Centre for Integral Health. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Lord Blunkett.
2: Uh, We're joined uh, today by uh, David Blunkett, Lord Blunkett, former Home Secretary, former Education Secretary. David, thank you very much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Uh, It's always a pleasure. But uh, since we are talking around the theme of... Leadership, it would be a remiss of me if we didn't start with the leadership election going on in the Labour Party. Apart from, I'm sure your delight that a certain someone is leaving a post, what are your thoughts on it so far? Well, I think the party
3: membership have got to make a very clear decision. Uh, are they in, in the stands watching or are they on the pitch playing? And if they want to play, then the two candidates that are in for the future are Lisa Nandy and Keir Starmer. I'm personally backing Lisa because I think she's a brave woman with a tremendous amount to give. She's got really good, positive ideas. I like them because they're about building from the community rather than command and control from the centre. They're about a new form of social democracy and socialism rather than trying to replicate a failed past. And she can reach out to people that others can't. So... I'm I'm giving her my backing. I think Keir Starmer is very professional, Mm. very able and presents extremely well. And I I hope that one of those two uh, actually come
2: through in the election on the 4th of April. Uh, There has been a lot of criticism, especially from uh, four candidates a little further left um, than them, who've criticised even the last Labour uh, uh, government as being part of 40 years of Thatcherism. Yes,
3: I think it's really unfortunate Uh, particularly when new MPs come in, having seen large swathes of their colleagues lose their seat, uh, to roll up the 13 years of Labour government with everything that I'm so proud of. I mean, we we were not neoliberals or anything like it. We were able, in the first 10 years certainly, uh, which I played a part in, to be able to turn the economy around, to invest in health and education, to be able to transform people's aspirations and their hopes for the the future, and that included ensuring people got the minimum wage, which we never had before, Sure Start to nurture youngsters from the most moment they were born, transformation in the quality of education. And all these things actually add up to helping people to improve and change their lives for the better. And anyone who thinks that's not good and that isn't a government to be proud of, needs to answer the question, what chivalet is it that you would want that would actually have done more to change those lives? I can think of two or three myself in terms mm. of uh, dramatically taking on uh, equ- inequality, although half a million children were taken out of poverty in those years. I can think of being even tougher on crime, even though I was dubbed as one of the tougher home secretaries because the people that I cared about most were on the whole, not exclusively, but mainly the victims of crime. I can think about taking on the very, very rapidly growing transnational power of the big tech companies, which we still need to work through in terms of how we do that from a a single nation just off the coast of Europe Mm -hmm. and how we work internationally without getting caught up in wars we don't want to be involved in, but how, how are we international? in a way that ensures that we play our part in making a better life for humanity as a whole rather than disengaging and becoming alien from the rest of the world. Those are big questions for the social democratic left, particularly with artificial intelligence and robotics changing the world of work forever, I think, in the next 20 years. Uh, An ageing population. Labour got 18% of the over 65 vote in the general election. Just 18%. It's staggeringly... It's extraordinary. Staggeringly bad.
2: Um, and and climate thinking...
3: change, which we all know is going to be either a big gain or a terrific political trauma. We've got to take people with us.
2: No matter uh, which political party it is, the changes that will occur in this decade especially will determine their future ideologies certainly. And spe- speaking of your time uh, as home sectioning government, um, you worked with so many different individuals of all political stripes and none at all. Is there someone, and on the theme of leadership, that stands out to you that embodies some of those qualities you described earlier? Yes, I mean,
3: it's on the theme of bottom-up, it was some of the most inspiring uh, head teachers and classroom teachers who, in really, really difficult circumstances, were actually transforming the life chances of children by inspiring those children to want to learn, to, if you like, lighting a candle inside them uh, giving them a, a a window on the world, which created an inquiring mind and an understanding that the world was their oyster, that they could do things with support. My, my philosophy has always been mutuality and reciprocity. We, we need mutuality to support each other. We need reciprocity in terms of understanding that we don't just take, we, we give a lot as well. And I suppose that really comes down to... Uh, if you're prepared to do something for yourself, we're prepared to do something to help you. And that's fundamentally in education, but it is in all sorts of walks of life as well. So you can have innovation, you can have entrepreneurship and creativity in in business, you can have the way in which people turn things around for themselves. Small businesses have done that, the contribution to... Uh, new ways of doing things, of thinking differently about our economy. Th- those are all grit to the mill. Those are the things we need to do. And we can do them together. It's not that you're on the side of the devil if you're an entrepreneur or you're on the side of the angels if you work in public services. We, we are mm. dependent on each other.
2: Oh, you can't have one without the other. Yes. Um, and I think to coin it, um, uh, uh, extraordinary, ordinary people, and especially when it comes to given your answer, David, to uh, teachers, to carers, people that honestly don't get the recognition they deserve on a day-to-day basis. And without them, half of society wouldn't function.
3: Completely. I call it civil society, which functions even when government isn't functioning. It's it's the glue that holds things together. It's people working and living and having their being together and recognising that they are dependent on each other. I've obviously met incredibly inspiring leaders... In a different vein, I was very fortunate to have met Nelson Mandela three times. Uh, I met Bill Clinton a number of times, both of whom, in very, very different ways, were inspiring leaders. I've met people in leadership positions who couldn't take a decision to save their lives. Uh, Tony Blair famously said in his conference speech the year before he stood down as Prime Minister... conglomerating, I suppose you would call it plagiarising thoughts, ideas, ways forward from everyone around you. I often think that um, football managers wouldn't do too bad a job if they actually talked to the fans after the game.
2: Well, everyone knows, uh, David. You know you're a big Sheffield Wednesday fan. It I know. Can't be easy having to hear the it, praise of Chris Wilder and Sheffield United every week after. No, week.
3: I, it isn't. Although it's damn good for Sheffield, so I'm being a bit magnanimous at the moment. That's very good about of you. Sheffield
2: United in the Premier League because
3: it it it's change. It does change. It lifts the image of the city internationally. If you're not just because it's Sheffield United, but because if you're playing Liverpool uh, and you're playing Man City. Then that's a global audience. You're immediately beamed across the world, so that's good. I I, I could cry sometimes. We can we can beat uh, Brighton Premier League side in the FA Cup at Brighton. We can beat Leeds at Leeds. I was there when we beat them two nil in January. And then you can and lose five nil, five nil <laughs> at home to Blackburn, and half the fans were out of the ground by, by half-time. What, what would
2: a manager of Blanket say in this situation? I,
3: I would have asked myself a very simple question. What went wrong with motivating those players so that when they came out on the field, they walked instead of ran? They didn't have any of the passion they'd had the week before at Leeds. They showed no drive and incentive to take hold of the game. What, what went wrong with the same players who'd played very well the week previously and if you could answer that question and there may have something may have happened who knows something during the morning before the game started something may have gone sour you get the answer to that question and you then start to ensure that we never never do this again yeah, well
2: I'm a Chelsea fan so I'm beginning to feel your pain at the minute um, but I would <laughs> like to pick up on another point you just made actually David about choosing a strong team people that compliment you a lot of criticism that uh, Theresa May got as Prime Minister was that she tended not to pick perhaps the more ambitious, the more uh, uh, uh people uh, uh, ministers that might well challenge her. One of Boris Johnson's, for all his faults, uh, he has been said in the past, he's a man that picks people that are good at their briefs. Do you agree with that? Assistant? Well, I'll reserve
3: judgment on that until I see the outcome of the reshuffle, which as we record this podcast has not yet happened Mm. and I imagine I I would be very surprised if he didn't have quite a brutal reshuffle not just to get people in who he likes but people who are going to be really sparky and able and clear at doing the job because you can have all the best ideas in the world you can pronounce on what you're going to do but if you haven't got leaders in those departments prepared to do it if they're just toadies by the way and there is a tendency a new Mm -hmm. Prime Minister, larger majority got to be very careful that you don't pick people because you're receiving the echo of your own voice uh, when you're speaking to them but get able people in I I, I won't comment on some of the less able but there are (laughs) clearly (laughs) in the Cabinet as I speak at the moment people who are really just not up to it. I mean incidentally anyone who won't be cross-examined by decent journalists on the BBC, changed their minds recently about Mm. Sky, isn't worth their salt. But part of being cross-questioned is to demonstrate to yourself that you've got a grasp of your brief, that you believe in it, and that you can persuade people of it. And if you can't do that under real cross-examination rather than sitting on the sofa... For mm-hmm. a, a, an easy morning television program. Get out of the business. You know, don't don't w- do without it. a doubt.
2: Yeah, uh, that's and also I should add that is how of uh, all stripes earn that respect in the first place. But
3: there is a question, isn't? And there? And try and answer the questions. That's, <laughs> that's what I always try to answer. the or questions. Or
2: be very good at avoiding them. Either way. <laughs> um, oh well, the, the way of avoiding them is to
3: take it head on and say, "I'm I'm not going to answer that question. Explain why."
2: Yeah, quite. Uh, <laughs> the um. And I think one of the great things about uh, the Leeds Council especially is that um, it takes and talks to people, again, from all different backgrounds, leading something very different, whether it's a charity, whether it's a business, whether it's in politics. There comes points, though, and David, you must have experienced this, whether as leading Sheffield City Council or as Home Secretary, when people are looking at you for leadership, where do you get your strength from? I think there's something inside all
3: of us. There's a tenacity, there's a, an ambition, there's a desire to get things done, to make a difference inside you, whether you're in public service, the charities, or you're driving a business that actually says, this is why I get up in the morning. So you've got to have something internal to yourself. The, the second is the satisfaction you get back because you do from seeing things change for the better you you can take pride without being egotistical. There's nothing wrong with being proud of what you do and to want to do it even better. And that's why you need both sharp minds around you. In my case, it was special advisors as, as well as ministers. I pretty well picked my ministers. Sometimes Tony asked me to take people who I was a little bit iffy about, and we had to meld people into the team. I was able to pick all my own special advisors, and that really did make a difference. Mm. But in in the end, you've got to like what you're doing. I mean, the, the, the people who are un, unhappy in their skin, they, they it's very difficult to perform if you're in the wrong business or in the wrong department of a business or if you're really hating teaching or in politics. You, you're just in the wrong department. I was very lucky because education and employment were my first loves in terms of what I wanted to do, and I got the job for four years. I'd then come to the conclusion that there were really big challenges for us. It turned out even bigger than I expected with the attack on the World Trade Mm Centre three months after I became Home Secretary. But the big challenges of security, of reducing crime, of dealing with the development of positive citizenship, which also had a read-over in terms of immigration, the kind of things that change people's lives, either for the better or the worse. And you don't get everything right. That's the other thing you've got to recognise, which is why being part of a broader team, being able to take criticism but not always accept it <laughs> a, because otherwise you blow with the wind, that, that, that's the, the measure. And I think if we can share those traits, those experiences, those different elements... Through the leadership council, if we can get people from very, very different leadership, managerial roles and delivery roles, to actually be able to share that experience, everyone will gain something from it because that dialogue will inform. It will avoid people reinventing the wheel. It will take people a lot further
2: than the the niche, for good or ill, the niche that they're in at the moment. Um, David. In the very, in the couple of minutes we have left, um, I will be mean and put you on the spot and ask you for predictions perhaps in three things. What will happen in the Labour leadership contest? How will the next few months go for the government after Brexit? uh, Well, after we leave the European Union on the 31st of January and where will Sheffield Wednesday finish in the league? Lord above, I'm not. I'm not sure which is the most difficult of those <laughs> questions. I, I've already
3: indicated where my support is for the the Labour leadership. If we take it at the end of January, 2020, Keir Starmer has clearly got a got off to a very very um, strong start. I think, however, it will be very much down to who can reach those parts of the. Labour Party membership that came in on the back of Jeremy Corbyn's election in 2015 to that post who can be persuaded that what they want to see and the change, the big changes they'd like to enact can only be brought about in any form if we win and we win back the people, the tragic loss of people on our side uh, mm. in December 2019 uh, and that that's got to be Lisa Nandi or, or Kia. on on the um the, the next few months I think that the government will probably do quite well I, I I think that there are real dangers ahead in just having 11 months to negotiate trade deals especially with bellicose pronouncements about we're not going to have alignment as though Alignment in itself is a bad thing when some of it will be very good. So I think there are dangers, but I think there's quite a bit of momentum going with the government at the moment, and that will be reflected in relationships, in doing deals in Europe and facing outwards to the rest of the world. Sheffield Wednesday, God help me. I mean, you know, how is it that two of the things that are most important to me, other than my family and loved ones, is football and, and politics, I think Sheffield Wednesday will be hard-pressed now to get into the playoffs. If we do, I think we could pull it off. But I am really reluctant.
2: And I think on that prediction, your reputation will be judged. Lord Blanket. thank you very much for joining us God today. God bless you, Jonathan.
0: This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye.